0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: You can't have solid cybersecurity without the right people. You've heard that before. Organizations need people with the right skills, and they need to pay them commensurate with that skill. Yet the skills shortage continues, driven, according to one new study, by low pay. For more, we turn to study authors. John Oltzik is Senior Principal Analyst at the Enterprise Strategy Group. Mr. Oltsik, good to have you on.
2: Thank you, Tom. It's nice to be here.
1: And Candy Alexander is president of the International Systems Security Association. Ms. Alexander, good to have you on.
0: Uh, Good morning, and thank you for having me.
1: So what did you study, how did you study it, and what are your main findings here with respect to people that are supposedly doing cybersecurity for large organizations? John?
2: This was our fifth annual study, Tom. And we surveyed 469 cybersecurity professionals from around the globe, and we were really trying to get inside their heads. So what's their job like? What's their career like? How do they relate to their organization? What motivates them and what doesn't motivate them? And there's a lot of research around technology in cybersecurity, but much, much less around people. And as you said, the technology is pretty much no good if the people aren't there, if they're not trained, if they're not skilled and motivated. And so that's really where we come in as researchers and Candy, uh, leading up ISSA. That's an international group of cybersecurity professionals. So we were able to tap into those people.
1: And Candy, you are also a practitioner of cybersecurity as well as a, an association president. So give us your perspective on the findings.
0: I have actually grown up in the profession, serving 30 years as a cyber professional or back in the day, we called it information security professional. I think that in regards to the results of the research that we've discovered, it is true to what the professionals are feeling, thinking, and seeing out there, experiencing. However, I think there's a lot of uncovered truths that we as a profession have not really stopped and recognized. And I'm sure we'll get into that conversation as we unfold our chat this morning.
1: Well, it sounds like the theme here is if you take a company like the now famous Colonial Pipeline, which nobody ever heard of until (laughs) the cyber attack and the ransomware, They had to spend millions and millions on ransomware. They're not the only one in recent months. Imagine what a small percentage of that devoted to cybersecurity staff might have made the difference. Is that what we're seeing here, do you think?
0: Absolutely. I think when it comes to the ransomware issue, it is frustrating for me as a professional. For I, too, am a CISO of an organization that was recently hit by ransomware, and we had not suffered nearly as much damage because we did implement the basic safeguards. I also have a very close relationship with the executive leadership. So they have full trust in me. And so when I go to approach them to say, I need X, Y, and Z, they are assured that whatever I'm asking for is supporting their business bottom line. So, there's you know very few instances I don't think actually I've ever had a no in regards to spend with this organization because of the trust relationship and open communications that I have with them, putting it in business terms as opposed to technology terms. They're business people, so why would we go to them with the technology lingo and ask for that spend?
1: Yeah, John, that sounds like something that would come up in your consulting with organizations is to look at it in business terms. And maybe in business terms, then leaders of organizations can be convinced that they need to pay to get the talent they need. Fair enough?
2: Quite fair. But there's a lot of history and baggage here. We used to say that organizations don't want good security. They want good enough security. And unfortunately, what our research says is that that's still true. There's still this attitude that, well, Colonial Pipeline got hit, their critical infrastructure, that can't happen to me. And as Candy will attest from her experience, that happens to everyone. So understanding that... Understanding it in business terms is really important, and that's what our research says.
1: We're speaking with John Oltsik, He's Senior Principal Analyst at Enterprise Strategy Group, and Candy Alexander is President of the International Systems Security Association. And there's another dynamic that might be of interest to federal agencies, which have a great deal of dependency on contractors for their operations and their development work, and they have their own cybersecurity issues within an agency but now increasingly they're worried about supply chain security. So maybe talk about the dynamic where one organization depends on another and therefore the dependent organization's cybersecurity concerns become everybody's cybersecurity concerns.
0: So I think I'll take that first. I have worked several times with a federal contracting organization, primarily civilian-based agencies. However, a couple recently with DOD. I truly believe that where the federal government is moving with CMMC is definitely the way to go. And I'm finding organizations that are not DOD contractors are also adopting them. So recently I did an engagement with an organization that was contracted by NIH They also pushed not the CMNC so much as SP 800-171, which is phenomenal. That is something that organizations can put their arms around and understand. So I think that most certainly is going in the right direction. Because let's face it, I just spoke a moment ago about not speaking technology terms to business people. So if we can at least educate business people... To ask one of two questions, are you CMMC compliant or are you SB 800-171 compliant, that takes care of a lot of issues.
1: You're referring to the NIST special publication 800-171, which has all of the cybersecurity controls an organization should have, I think, for sensitive but unclassified information, correct? Correct. Got it. Okay. Yes. So people know some of the nomenclature we're using here. <laughs> and so, John, then it sounds like pay is one thing, but knowledge and training is another thing. And I think your study showed that there's a feeling on cybersecurity practitioners' parts that they're not getting, besides the salary, other resources they need, such as regular training and keeping up to date on what it is they're trying to accomplish.
2: Yes, that's correct, Tom. So, 91, I think I'm I'm almost positive of these numbers, but 91% of those that we surveyed agree that cybersecurity professionals need to keep up with their training or it puts their organization at risk. Yet 57% of those that we surveyed agree that they don't get enough training because they're too busy. Now, training is funny because a lot of organizations feel like they're going to have attrition in their cybersecurity staff And so investments in training are just a ticket for people to leave, to go out the door. And we don't believe that's true at all. In fact, training should be a staple of any organization because you need to keep up with threats, you need to keep up with the latest technologies, and your people are going to have those opportunities regardless. In fact, if you train them, they'll be more motivated to stay because that's one of the things that cybersecurity professionals really want in their careers, So training is critical. And that's what the data says. It really emphasizes not only the need for training on the cybersecurity professional part, but also on the business part.
1: And for federal agencies that don't have a lot of flexibility on what they can pay people, for the most part then they often use the mission as a motivator to get people to do cybersecurity for them. But I imagine that they can also use the flexibility they do have, which is large, in training and development of people as a selling point for coming to my organization, even though I can't pay you what the private sector can pay. Fair?
2: Very fair. While competitive compensation is important, cybersecurity professionals want to work at organizations that have a cybersecurity culture. They want to work with other very strong cybersecurity professionals so they can learn and be mentored, and they want those training opportunities. So there are ways to get around it. Certainly, compensation is important, but the mission is important for cybersecurity professionals. So the federal government has a little bit more flexibility than, let's say, some other agencies or some other organizations have.
0: Candy, anything to add? So just to emphasize, once again, the importance of the professional development for a cyber professional. You know, I often speak about using the analogy of a physician. You know, we're trusting our cyber professionals to protect the organization. However, we're not giving them enough time to get training. We're not giving them budget to get training. And there's really minimal mentorship going on. So when we use the comparison to a physician, would you want to go to a physician that has had no training in a number of years, and that kind of just wings it on a day-to-day basis. It's that significant, especially in this day and age where, you know, cyber is everything and everywhere. Cyber is biomedical devices. Cyber is cyber defense on your organization. So, you know, do you really want to trust your livelihood or your life to somebody who, eh, You know, I'm going to catch a YouTube video on how to lock down a system. I doubt it. That's not a wise investment. And, you know, the thing is, is cyber professionals, we've discovered in the past four years of our research that cyber professionals are actually really loyal people. You put in the investment to the cyber professional and they're going to stay. One of the underlying things that we've asked in the past years is, why do you do it? And, of course, I'm paraphrasing, but cybersecurity professionals just want to do the right thing. We want to save the world. So if you give us the training, professional development, you give us the mission, you know, of doing right and doing what's, you know, appropriate, then, you know, we're going to be happy.
1: Candy Alexander is president of the International Systems Security Association. Thanks so much for joining me.
0: Again, thanks for having me.
1: John Olsik is Senior Principal Analyst at the Enterprise Strategy Group. Thank you also.
2: My pleasure, Tom. Anytime.
1: We'll post this interview along with a link to their study at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
3: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson.
4: as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old, uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me.
3: How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years?
4: My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it. So you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change situations changed, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where what you can do to help them.
3: Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them
4: and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea.
3: Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them.
4: I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the
3: backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at pluralsight.com vision. Hey, hon, what
2: you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa.